The Torah content from now through Pesach has been sponsored by the Kofsky family in loving memory of Adira, who loved big ideas and asking big questions. Recording. Okay, so we are continuing on in Perak Chaf, Lamnatech Mizmor David. We did the translation and the redak last time. So what I'm going to do is reread Pasuk by Pasuk, and then just, oh, we got Avi Kessler. Okay. Um, and then uh, I'm going to reread Pasuk by Pasuk, and then... Uh, just recap the essential stuff we got from the doc, and then we'll get to work on what the main idea is. Okay. Um, brother David. So I translated as for he who grants victory, a Psalm for David. Okay. So this is a, a, a tefillah that either his soldiers were, were mispalo for him to succeed or the people in the nation were mispalo for him to succeed in war. Okay. This is, uh, seems to be unanimous that this is about war. Um, um, Hashem will answer you. May Hashem, may Hashem answer you on the day of distress. May the name of the God of Yaakov strengthen you. Okay. Um, and Radak just said Yaakov because uh, it's he's the one who suffered the most of the Avos. Yishlach uh, Kodesh. May your help be sent from the Holy, which Radak says is referring to the Aron Hakodesh because that's where the Shechina is. Umitzion Yisadaka. And uh, and may it come from Zion, which is where the Aron is. Okay, uh, which the Radak translated as "May he um, favor your menachos and accept the burning of your Ola offerings." There we said it was because they brought Olos and menachos prior to going to war, so that God would help them succeed. Uh, May he grant you uh, in accordance with your heart and may he fulfill all your counsels. So initially we thought that that was kind of an audacious request. May he fulfill all your desires. But then the Radak said is may he fulfill all your desires in war, um, meaning to defeat your enemy. Um, and same thing with all of your Eitsa, all of your Eitsa in war. So he limited it to the context. Mm-hmm. Uh, may we sing at your salvation and with the name of our God, we will raise a banner. May Hashem fulfill all your requests. Again, same thing, all your requests is in, in war. Okay, then we had our pivot, okay, which we say is pretty unanimous, unless you want to say that Vav is in past tense also. Zion says, Now I have known that Hashem saved his anointed one, uh, which is David. Um, uh, he answered him from the heavens of his holiness, with the mighty acts of his right hand. So there we said, so we just said that this seems to be after the victory. You've seen, we, now we've seen the victory. And then Radak takes it one step further that beforehand they didn't know that God would save. And they didn't know that David Amalek was the anointed one because they thought that his hate would cause Hashem to not favor him. But once you see this miraculous victory, then you're like, Oh, clearly Hashem did help. And that means David is the anointed one. Um, so uh, the Radak and Ibn Ezra put, uh, put the word trust in there. These trust in their chariots. These people trust in their horses. These, you know, presumably it's talking about the enemies. But we will invoke the name of Hashem, uh, our God, meaning we trust in Hashem, in Hashem, Hashem. Tess. They slump and they fall. Um, they slump and they fall, but we get up and are strengthened uh, or, or prevail. Radak says that's is what they would cry out when they're in war. Hashem saves, the king will answer us on the day we call. Okay, so we had a lot of particular questions, but the major questions were... Um, were what is the i mean the major question is the question we always try to answer what's the unity of the two halves topic wise it's it's unified but when you're reciting it the first half seems to be a desperate plea to hashem to help you in a state of war or in in time of war second half is saying that hashem already saved you um we decided not not to wait after we waited five minutes uh i I wasn't okay yeah yeah i thought i thought you went let me just go and get my dinner okay fine okay yeah that's okay we were yeah um, so we just we just reviewed the facts. Oh yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, yeah. So we just reviewed the facts. Uh, so, um, right. So the the clash and the tenses makes it difficult because like when are you saying this? If this is what they were, if the whole thing is what they were mispalel, why midway are they switching to past tense, saying that God has saved David as if as if the fields were successful? You know, are they talking about this battle that we're going into now, or are they talking about? prior battles if it's talking about this battle we're going into now 
then success is, has not happened yet. And if you're talking about prior battles, then like, how does that connect to the request that you're saying now? Okay. So just to review our method, um, in addition to the pivot method, the Adler's four questions, which I have on the source sheet there, what is the Peric saying as a whole? What's the main idea? That's going to be our first task. Okay. Um, our second task is out of Adler's order, which is, is the Peric true in whole or in part? Okay. So for example, let's say here, um, you know, uh, the implication of the second half is that kind of all you need is, is the shame of shame and you're going to succeed. Is that really true? You know? And then fourth question number four is what of it, what are we supposed to get out of this? Um, actually we, we really typically, we typically go one, four, th- uh, two, three, right? So, so what do we get out of it? And then the, the question, which we'll do if we have time is how do all the individual can fit into the main idea? Okay. So anyone have any ideas? <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the advantage we have, by the way, for this one, it, unlike other ones we've done last year is sometimes we can't even figure out the subject of the pair here. We know the subject it's mm-hmm. going to war and we know that it has to do with them praying for David. So the subject we know, but the idea of this Bakasha to like Hoda, that's the part that is, is tripping us up. Right. Yeah. I guess it's like a, I guess it's like a request of Shem that we succeed in war through him. Okay. All right. Good. So uh, I was I was gonna if we needed a hint, <laughs> I was gonna give a hint, which is clearly there is stuff here about trusting in Hashem, right? But the emphasis is on succeeding through him. Now, can you elaborate on what you mean by through him? Like okay. so. We ask for Hashem to like accept our offerings so that they should work and well, yeah. work well during war. Hashem should, you know, fulfill our desires, which are to win the war. Right. He should, um, Hashem should save his commands when they would call. Yeah. You know, all these things are, are you know, beseeching, I guess, Hashem that, yeah. that he do well with us vis-a-vis the war. Yeah. You know? Also, like, and we, we like, uh, we tell we are saying like we are doing it. We're invoking the name of the Shem as opposed to others who are invoking. You know, right. Uh, yeah. Okay. So 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 it is not just a matter of trusting Hashem, but something about our relationship to the Shem Hashem differentiates us and allows us to succeed. Okay. So so th- th- this is like a, a good approach. Now I want to give the disclaimer I gave last time, which um, last time I said that my chavrusas and I got like seventy percent of an idea. I think it shot up to seventy five. Okay, but I don't have a full idea yet. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to lay out some steps that our idea came from, and then we'll try to bring it together. Okay, so for this, you need a Rambam. So I got three Rambams, assuming that there'd be three people. Um, Okay, so uh, this, um, the Rambam that came to my mind, I I would ask if anyone knows which Rambam came, (laughs) comes to mind. I don't think this is a very well-known Rambam. Okay, uh, you want to guess uh, which safer of the Mishnah Torah it's going to be in, or which section of Halachos? Okay, it's going to be in Shoftim. Okay, and which section of Shoftim is probably going to be relevant to our uh, our our parak of Tehillim? Uh, sorry, not parak. Sorry, which Halachos? Which which? So you, the Halachos about war. Okay, right. And in the halachas about war, I, I don't. I know you don't know the prokem breakdown of the twelve prokem, probably. But um, which what was that? It like there are. Oh, there are. Yeah, there are. Yeah. So, um, what? Can, okay, again, this is this is bonus points now. If you had to pick a mitzvah of taryag that this would be relevant to in war, what was that? Uh, I was oh. <laughs> You know, that's actually, you, you say that and it, that actually might be related because I mean, not directly, but indirectly, because why do we dig the latrines? But why, why is the Torah say? 
Do you know? Is that what you're thinking? Because the Shekhinah is, is in our camp. No, no, no. I was thinking Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's not something weird. It's not something weird. But, but that, that's actually, that might be relevant. Was that? So if we were talking about um, in Tanakh, then we would look to the Aron. Like, I, I meant to look at that passage that we quoted last time of, of Yafuto Ibecha, but the Aron is not related to, I don't think the Aron takes, plays a role in the, the halachos of going to war. I think that was... Yeah, because once we have the halakhic system in place, then the Aron is in the Kodesh HaKadashim, and it's there to stay. Did they take it out for war? It could be. It could be. I just don't. I'm not a bucky in the halakhos of war. So this is going to be in the halakhos of the Meshuach Milchama, okay, of the Kohen who's appointed to tell people who are not fit for war to go back. And there is a halakha that talks about, um, excuse me, about the mentality that a soldier has to have when he goes to war. Okay, and this is a very beautiful halacha. Um, there's we're obviously not going to go into everything in it, but it is um, again, it's very uh, it's very poetic, but it's very profound philosophically. Okay, so look at Perak Zion, Hilchos uh, Malachim, which is the last section in the Mishnah Torah, and it is Perak uh, Zion, and it's the last halacha, halacha Tesvav. Whoever gets it first can say the page. If... Okay, okay, so. Um, so one of the, you know, there's different people you send back. Um, so, you know, if you got, if you just got married, if you had a vineyard, you know, built a house. So this is the last one. Who is the man who is afraid and soft-hearted? So that means like it sounds, okay? Like meaning that you're, you're, that his heart does not have the uh, ability to withstand the throes of war. Okay. And um, as I often do, uh, we just, when I was preparing this, uh, we just rewatched Saving Private Ryan, which if you haven't seen that, that I think is probably the best war movie. And there is a very, very good depiction um, of a character who suffers from this condition. Uh, it's just a really, really good thing. Intense movie though. Okay. Now this is the thing. Once a person enters into the throes of war, he should lean upon or rely upon the hope of Israel and the savior at the time of Tsara, okay, which most certainly comes from either our parak literally or, you know, or pro- similar psukim and tilim that are like that, right? The savior at the time of the Tsara. Vieda she'al yichud Hashem hu osin He should know that he's waging war for yichud Hashem, okay? V'yasim nafsho b'kapo, and he should place his soul in his hand, not literally, because then you'll die. V'lo yira v'lo yifchad, and he should not be afraid or tremble, he should not think about his wife or his kids. He should erase their memory from his heart. And he should turn away from everything to war. Yeah, right. It is poetic, right? It's, it's, it's a beautiful depiction. It's a beautiful portrait of the, of the soldier. Now gets halachic, more halachic. Anyone who begins to think and have like second thoughts in war, umavhil atmo, and he uh, panics himself over belosase. He transgresses a losase. Okay, shenamar al yirach levavchem al tiruuv al tachbuzuv al tarsubimtem for four lashonos. Don't be soft-hearted. Don't be afraid. Don't be uh, uh, panicked, and don't recoil before before them. Okay, so that's actual losase. Okay, blow od. Okay, and it goes on. Now, this part is not necessarily related, but I want to read it just to see the sequence. Below, not only that, all the blood of Israel is hanging by his on his neck. Okay, yeah. Um, and if he does, did not wage uh, uh, um, uh, strive for victory or wage war with all his heart and all his soul, which, by the way, reminds you of yeah, right? So, you know, uh, these are Avas Hashem terms, which are important here. Um, it's like he murdered everyone. Okay. As it says, it says he shouldn't melt the heart of his brethren like his own heart. It says in Yermiyahu, cursed is the one who makes the work of Hashem or who's lazy in the work of Hashem and cursed is the one who withholds his sword from blood. 
Okay, so, yeah, David? No, sorry, I'll say that. Oh, yeah, yeah, just, uh, we'll do one paragraph just to get the full picture. Yeah. So that's the, the guy who's doing war badly. But then he says, Anyone who wages war with all his heart without fear. Okay, and his intention is to sanctify the name alone, which, by the way, that's not a contradiction to what he said, that he's waging war for Yichud Hashem, because obviously it's the same thing, but you want to make a, it's not like he's waging war for Yichud Hashem in his own mind. It's, Kiddush Shemo Hagadol is spreading Yichud Hashem in the world, right? Establishing it in the world. So if he does that, Muftach Lo Shalom Yimtza Nezek, he's promised that he will not be harmed. Velo Tagiora, and he will not suffer any evil. Vibane Lo Bayis Nachon Israel, he will build a, a firm house in Israel. Vizka Lo Ulevanov Adolam, and he will merit for himself and his kids forever. Vizka Lechaylam Haba, and you even get Olam Haba. Shnemar, as it says, Ki Asa. Hashem will certainly make for my Lord a, a, a firm house. My Lord uh, wages the wars of Hashem. Evil will not be found in you in all of your days. And the soul of my Lord will be bound up in the bundle of life uh, with Hashem. Yeah. Great Ramam, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what was your uh, question? Or observation. Yeah. Sure. Well, two thoughts. One, yeah. The sound, it sounds like it has a lot of similar burden it gives to the parak of Yes. Yes. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. A lot like that. And I also have a, like, a thought on the parak, but it sounds like a very general. Sure. Before you do that, I just want to read one puzzle from the parak that you mentioned, uh, which I think like is, I think is like very, very, uh, I mean, there's all the stuff not, about not being harmed, but I think there is, uh, I'm not going to say what I, I'm looking for unless I find it. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. He, so when it says at the end why he gets protected, because in you, uh, sorry, in me, wait, in me? Oh, sorry, this is Hashem talking. Okay, Hashem says, in me is his yearning, this guy's yearning, and I will save him. I will exalt him because he knew my name, which is exactly the phrase in our Pasuk. Right? So it is, it is the same mechanism. Okay? So that's that's a good call. I should have actually looked there in preparing. Yeah. All right. What was the other thing you were saying? Um, okay. I should be for the thumbnail. Right. Yeah. It seems to have like, as far as like the idea of like what to be going to war. Yeah. It seems to just also have like a, like what is the purpose of your life perspective? That yes. There, yeah. Of like, Definitely, like the question of like people like being concerned about death or just like not caring about dying and like the two different sides of that. But then, like this is like framing like what your life is for. And so, if your life is for Hashem, then okay. So if you die, then you can see yourself as just like a consequence of ah, trying to get. Okay, so before I call you, I just want to echo what you're saying here, which is that um, you are definitely the wrong. I'm saying you definitely are affirming and enacting your. Um, your values in war, which is Yichud Hashem and Kiddush Hashem. And if you die, okay, now you're going to have, okay, so th this is the question here, okay? When we say that you are not going to suffer harm, what does that mean? <laughs> right? Right, because that, that's the thing, is that um, like, when he says you're going to get Olam Hava right now, <laughs> you know, but, um, but in other words, and, and I am, you know, I, I, it's going to sound like I'm waxing stoic, uh, but I'm waxing Mishlein, which is that is it if this is the, guy, the guy's values, then is getting injured a harm? You know, is dying a harm if his actions advance the shame Hashem in the world? No, it's not. Like it's 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 a good if anything. You know, um, so um, what do you call it? So he uh, let's see. I'm trying to think of a way to <laughs> you just missed the main part. <laughs> um, but uh, let me hold on just one second. I'm going to send you the thing that we're talking about in English. Uh, no, oh, yeah, it has in that. And then, um, and also, hold, I'm going to, I'm going to pause this for one second. Okay. Pause the recording. So what we were saying was, um, if, if you are fighting in the war because of some physical motive, some personal value or whatever, then obviously if you get injured, then that is uh, actual harm, you know? But if your framework of good of Tov and Ra is Kiddush Shem Hashem, so then your body can get harmed and it's definitely not something you want, but that's not a Ra because 
The only Ra would be if the Shem Hashem was compromised. And your actions, you're doing everything you can to advance the Shem Hashem and Yichud Hashem in the world. So that's not a harm. And even if you die, then that's not a Ra. It is it is a loss in the sense that you lost your life, but it's not a Ra. Yeah. Just remember so you realize about this, that if you do not say to the Yahweh Bill Yahweh, it's not Mitzvah. Uh, in the sense, if you say do not flee, it's not a Yahweh Bill Yahweh, it's not Mitzvah. <laughs> okay, that's, a, that's an interesting perspective, applying Yahweh Bill Yahweh to that. Yeah. Basically, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because if you say, Oh, you can't flee unless you're going to die. Right. Yeah. Oh, I, that, I, you, that reminds me, by the way. One thing that we, um, this puts a different uh, spin on uh, on sending away people who are cowardly, right? Because yeah. it's not just a practical thing that we send them away if they're cowardly, is we're also trying to filter out people who are like not even in the parsha of having these values of fighting war for Yikot Hashem, you know? Um, so like, and and you can imagine also like, you know, the, um, like a good example of this Lahav deal is like, um, the, okay, actually, I don't know if this is a good example. Hold on. No, yeah, I'm not going to say the example because I don't know if it's factually true. Are yeah. We, are we, is that, you're saying we're only closing out people who are like, they don't care about you for the No, 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 not, not only those people. Um, it seems like people just wouldn't be able to fight in the war, like. Yeah, yeah. What what what, what I was saying is when he's, when the way he says it is they they in believe koach lamod bekisher hamilchama. So it's that their fear is going to overtake their ability to actually like be acting on the basis of their values, and they're going to be acting in a in a fight or fl- well, not a fight, just a flight response. Yeah, flee. Yeah. Um, do you think that there is any connection to people that say like they just planted a vineyard or they just got Yes. And their inability to not not their inability to fight, but their inability to see or like think. Yes, and in fact, I think the raya is from the Ramam when he says you have to erase the memory of your wife and kids from your mind. You know, and you can't do that when you just got married or when you just got a vineyard or a house. You know, yeah. Um, okay, so I, in terms of, of of the idea, again, I said I'm going to throw all the pieces on the table. So this was the biggest piece. Okay, there are two more pieces. Okay. Second piece is really, you know, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. Sometimes you're working on an idea and you get the phrase for the idea, but you don't fully know what you mean. You know, <laughs> like it's like an intuitive thing. So um, I believe this phrasing came from Ken, uh, Michael Ruzzo, when I was preparing with him. So he said, what makes our wars different is that um, the thing we're fighting for and the thing that allows us to succeed are the same. Okay. So think about, let's say other wars, let's say like you are fighting for, uh, the United States, right. And it's values. So it's values are good, but the values are not actually what allows you to win, but she, but Hashem, right. Hashem you're fighting for, you know, uh, shame Hashem and the shame Hashem is what allows you to win. Now, I don't know what that means. That's what we have to unpack, you know, but, uh, you know, but, but that's the, uh, that, that's the, um, that's the move. Yeah. It's, it's like the classic, like hero archetype. It's like you're going after like the, the maiden in the tower or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and whatever, whatever it is. Right. Um, and even if you're fighting for her, she herself can't help you. Uh, right. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good, uh, good uh, analogy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay, so so with that in mind, I'm gonna show you the third piece, and then we have to like work on this. Okay, so the third piece is I was thinking, hmm, where is an example of someone who did this that we could look at? Test case. Oh, how about David Hamela? <laughs> okay, so um, I got two Tanakhs because I thought there were gonna be two people here. I was hedging between two and three. <laughs> if someone wants to get two more Tanakhs, uh, I need actually need this one because we're gonna read in English just for expediency. Um, yeah. Um, so I'm not going to put this on the screen. What was that? <laughs> um, okay. So uh, go to page 689. Okay. Oh, sorry, sorry. Not 689. 685. Okay. And we're just reading this in English because it's an s- extremely long story. This is WN. Uh, and Goliath. Yeah. Okay. So I have not learned this story uh, all, all the way through. Uh, I started learning it over uh, the summer, but I didn't get so far. Um, so yeah, in uh, so it's in Shmuel Aleph. Yeah, page six eighty five. Um, 
Okay, so we're going to start in Pasuk Aleph, but we're not going to read through the whole thing. The Philistines assembled their camps for war and assembled themselves at Soho, that is to Judah, and they encamped between Soho and Azekah, blah, blah, blah. So Saul and the people of Israel assembled themselves. They encamped in the Terebinth Valley, and they arranged for war against the Philistines. Okay, fine. Let's skip to Pasuk 4. A champion went forth from the Philistine camps, whose name was Goliath of, of Gath. His height, six cubits and one span. He had a copper helmet on his head, uh, and he was wearing an armor of mail. The weight of the armor was 5,000 copper shekels. Uh, I don't know what that is, but that sounds like a lot of shekels. <laughs> okay. Um, he had a copper shield on his legs and a copper neck guard between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the blade of his spear weighed 600 iron shekels. The shield bearer walked before him. Uh, he stood and called out to the battalions of Israel and said to them, why are you going forth to wage war? Am I not the Philistine while you are the servants of Saul? Choose yourselves a man and let him come down to me. If you can fight me and kill me, we will be slaves to you. And if I defeat him and kill him, you will be slaves to us and serve us. Then the Philistine said, I have disgraced the battalions of Israel this day, saying, give me a man and we will fight together. Uh, Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine and they were terrified and greatly afraid. Okay, so that's the uh, the setup. Uh, we're on page uh, 687 now. Okay, so big bad guy. Okay, then it goes into uh, David, uh, who he was, and he was still young at the time. Okay, I mean, he was always the youngest, but he was still younger, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this is not, I don't think this, I don't, oh, maybe this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the puzzle before was the introduction to David. So this is very soon after that. Okay. So we are now at, yeah, okay, here we go, uh, 23, let's just skip to 23. As he was speaking to them, behold, the champion went forth from the battalions, I am recording, right? Okay, good. Uh, went forth uh, from the Philistine battalions, Goliath, the Philistine of Gath was his name, and spoke the above words, and David heard. Um, all of the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and they were very frightened. So they're doing what you're not supposed to do in war, right, which is being afraid and, and, and fleeing. He goes forth to disgrace Israel, sorry, um, men of Israel were saying, have you seen this man who goes forth? He goes forth to disgrace Israel. The king will enrich whoever kills him with great wealth and give his daughter to him in marriage, and he will free his father's family from royal service in Israel. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. David spoke to the men standing with him, saying, What will be done for the man who slays a Philistine and removes disgrace from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he disgraces the battalions of the living God? Okay. Uh, so you see already David is concerned about Kiddush Hashem, okay, as is David's character. So the people told him regarding the matter, saying, such and such shall be done for the man who kills him. Okay, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Skip. Yeah. Uh, which puzzle was that? Oh, I don't know. Um, not sure. I assume probably. Face, yeah. Something like that, I would no, assume, no, yeah. Yeah. Although... Like a farmer's one could include war, but that well, yeah. All right, let's we'll, let's speculate later. Okay, we, uh, so thirty-one, uh, skip to thirty-one. Uh, the words David was saying became heard, and the people related them to Saul, and he summoned David. David said to Saul, "Let no man lose heart because of him. Your servant will go forth and fight the Philistine." But Saul said to David, "Okay, this is a a, a bad check mark for Saul. You cannot go forth to this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a lad, and he is a warrior from his youth." David said to Saul, "Your servant was a shepherd." meaning I was a shepherd for his father among the flocks, the lion or bear would come and carry off a sheep from the flock. And I would go after it, strike it down and rescue the sheep from its mouth. If it would attack me, I would grab onto its beard and strike it and kill it. Your servant has slain even lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them for he has disgraced the battalions of the living God. Then David said, Hashem who rescued me from the hand of the lion and from the hand of the bear, he will rescue me from the Philistine. Okay. So this is very secure and trusting. Then what happens? So Saul said to David, go and may Hashem be with you. Okay, note that phrase. Saul dressed David in his own battle garments. He put a copper helmet on his head and dressed him in armor. David then girded his sword over his battle garments, but he was unwilling to go forth that way for he was not accustomed to it. So David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these and I, for I'm not accustomed to them. And David removed them from himself. Okay, so the big, uh, you know, uh, that, that's making people, you know, nervous. He took his staff in his hand and picked out five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's bag. Uh, and in the knapsack, and his slingshot was in his hand. Then he approached the Philistine. The Philistine walked, getting closer and closer to David, and the man bearing his shield was before him. The Philistine peered, and he saw David, and he derided him, for he was a youth, ruddy and handsome. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come after me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. 
Then the Philistine said to David, come to me so that I may offer your flesh to the fowl of the heavens and to the beast of the field. Okay, real, real good trash talking here. Okay, then we get the main line. This is the, main, the whole reason why we're reading this, this one Pasuk. David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you with the name of Hashem, master of legions, the God of the battalions of Israel that you have ridiculed. Okay, on this day, Hashem will deliver you into my hand. I shall smite you and I shall remove your head from upon you. And I shall offer the carcass of the Philistine camp um, this day, the fowl of the heavens and the beast of the earth. Then the whole earth will know that there is a God in Israel. Okay. And all the assembly will know that not through sword and spear does Hashem grant salvation for unto Hashem is the battle and he shall deliver you unto your hands. So that's great example of waging war, Hashem, Hashem and Kiddush Hashem. So what happens? It happened that when the Philistine arose and moved closer towards David, that David hurried and ran to the line towards the Philistine. David stretched his hand into the sack. He took a stone from there and slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone penetrated his forehead and he fell upon his face upon the ground. Thus, David overpowered the Philistine with the slingshot and the stone. He smote the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in David's hand. David ran and stood by the Philistine. He took Goliath's sword and drew it from its sheath, having already killed him, and he cut off his head with it. The Philistines saw that their hero was dead and they ran away. The men of Israel and Judah rose up, shouted exulting, uh, exultingly, um, uh, exultantly and pursued the Philistines up to the approach of the valley to the gates of Ekron. Yeah. Okay. So that was the, uh, that was the story. Okay. Now beautiful parallel to our parish, but there's one big problem. What did he kill him with? Not the shame of shame. He killed him with a stone and a slingshot. Yeah. Right. So like, so the question is, and, and I feel like this is a good parallel question to our parish, which is our parish is basically saying these guys trust in their, horses and in their chariots, but we trust in the Shem Hashem, right? And as long as we trust in the Shem Hashem, then we'll prevail. David is also saying, I'm trusting the Shem Hashem and prevailing, but then he's using his slingshot. So how is that not different than trusting in your, your chariot and your horses? And what is the connection between trusting in the Shem Hashem and then using the slingshot? In other words, like when you read the story, you are supposed to think to yourself, yeah, God is helping him, but there's something about the strategy he's using, which is somehow tied up in waging war with the Shem Hashem instead of the javelin and the sword. Like David Amel himself is saying, this is my weapon. You know, like if it was David fighting with a sword and saying, I'm fighting with the Shem Hashem, then you would just think it's God assisting him. But there's something about the strategy he's using and then shedding all of his armor, you know? So like, that's the thing that, that we're having a hard time figuring out. Yeah. I don't know exactly what this is, but part of it is, I think that like, David is sort of scoring like the normal, like, way that a warrior goes into battle and he's doing what he knows is the best way for him to do it. Yeah. You know? Like yeah. Using his ah, okay. Okay, good. So so I told you to have in mind the show statement that may Hashem be with you, right? right. So uh all right, this is this is the real test of uh who, who's paying attention for Shnai and Mikra. <laughs> okay. Um how does Unkelos always translate um that Hashem is with you? Uh, like I said, everyone who's actually doing Shnai Mikra, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, how does Unkelos always translate um, uh, Hashem is with you, or Hashem was with me, or Hashem may Hashem be with you? So he always translates it as um, "May the word of Hashem be your support." Okay. And here there's no Unkelos on Shmuel. Okay. There's Targum Yonasan because uh, we don't have Unkelos on this. So Unkelos on the phrase, what puzzle was it? Um, Lama Gimel, I think. Uh, no. What does it say? Uh, Hashem may be with you. Oh, uh, Samech. Yeah. No, sorry, not Samech. That's a, a, a paragraph break. It's Lama Zayin. Lama Zayin. All right. Um, Shaul says in the Hebrew, Vyomer Shaul el David, Lech Varshem Yehia Imach. And the Targum Yonasan following Unkelos says, the word of Hashem will be at your support. So, so um, say what you said again, Isaiah. David uses his mind, right? He uses his chachma, okay? And, uh, and that is something, has something to do with relying on Hashem and Hashem being with you, okay? And that's what we have to figure out. Also the fact that David is you know, he's not going away in fear. Yeah. He's making the decision that that is the effective decision maker for time. Right. So he's relying on his chachma in the strategy and in the decision making, is what you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like I've been wanting to sneeze for a while. So I may. Excuse me. All right. There we go. Another, I had to announce it. Um, so, um, yeah. Another chachma, I think, aspect of this was that if it wasn't just 
like the right thing to do. It was a good um, tactical maneuver because they got scared. And right. Really cut his head off like that. Right. Well, I, you know, the other thing also is it doesn't say the reaction, but what do you think? Like, I mean, there's something. Well, it says uh, Goliath's reaction when he sees David without his armor and with the sling, you know, but um, there's like, what? okay, in, in the image of Jewish soldiers going to war, uh, what does the Torah say that the enemy is going to see? That is going to actually be seeing the Shem Hashem. How are they going to see that the Shem Hashem is upon us? From the legions of Hashem. There's a physical thing they're going to see, and it's not Hashem. Um, that's the result of the war, right? Or that's that's in the war. Uh, what, are, what are the soldiers wearing? And? No. I mean, presumably they are. It's filling, right? So, they'll see that the Shem Hashem is upon you and they'll, they'll, um, they'll be afraid of you, you know? So, I, maybe this is me projecting into this, but I feel like, like, you know, imagine in the, in the ancient world, you know, like, the Jewish soldiers running to battle with tefillin on. You might not know what tefillin is, but there's something like really like. Have you ever seen um, with the um, the uh, what's the uh, the uh, New Zealand um, rugby team that does the haka? Yeah, the Mori. Yeah, the um, yeah, yeah. But apparently these guys was that. Oh, okay. I'm gonna show you a video. Not now, but it is, so it's this Maori tribal dance that they do, and. It is extremely like mystically intimidating. Like it's just, you know, so like I feel like there's got to have been an effect of that going with Tillin and like and and knowing what Israel stands for, you know. Like I, I was thinking about this, and maybe this is me jumping the gun here, which is a pun not intended. Okay. Um, do you read about Israel's la- latest assassination of the Iranian uh, nuclear physicist? No. Oh. oh, okay. So I'm I'm not going to do it justice, okay? But you you should read about it. So what happened was, you know, you know, you know, Israel has been like sabotaging Iran's like nuclear program for a while, right? Um, Right. So um, they're they just um, uh, shot the 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 head nuclear physicist while he was in his car, and they shot him with a machine gun, and didn't hit his wife who was next to him, and no Israelis were in Iran. How did they do it? So they invented a, uh, a they, people are calling it by saying a Terminator. Okay, it's a, a machine gun that operates remotely and they had to smuggle it into the country through their spies or whatever, um, piece by piece and somehow get it secretly assembled. Okay, in this location, they had to know all of the travel routines and like know exactly down to the second when this guy would come. And then apparently the, the big challenge, which was like a technical uh, technological innovation was when you have a machine gun, there's a recoil. And when you're that far away, I, I guess it was really, really far away. Then, um, then it messes up the, uh, the aim. And I guess if you have a, uh, you know, a human, then presumably the human through training learns how to account for that. But, you know, lots of things could go wrong. So they basically had to, to set it up with some sort of AI to like continuously correct for all this stuff. And so they killed, they, they, they killed it. Like, I think they shot him in the car and then like he got out and then they shot him again and it was all being remotely operated. The only thing that went wrong with the operation was the machine gun was supposed to self-destruct but in, uh, and, and erase all trace of it. But instead it, it, it uh, propelled the gun and didn't destroy it. So now Iran knows that it's Israel, right? And the cool thing is if this is some sort of like, you know, secular state or whatever, they're not going to associate it with the Shem Hashem. But guess what? Iran believes in, you know, Avram Avinu and Hashem and, 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 you know, and, 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 and all that stuff. And, and like, and there is a, again, I know Israel is not necessarily, I don't know how they view it, but like they're viewing it in religious terms. And I feel like there, there is probably for them an association between the, they have to know that Israel has technical prowess and technical, like technological, you know, advanced society. There has to be a, you know, um, the nations will say, Ma, uh, um, uh, what's the phrase I'm trying to quote? Devarim Dalid. I'm just blanking. Yeah, right? What a wise and discerning people is this great nation, you know? So, like, they have to know that, and there has to be in their mind some connection between the Shem Hashem and Israel using, like, this technology, you know? So, like, 
that's the thing that we're getting from David, right? Is like he's going in there, no armor. This is the greatest warrior, and then he uses his chachma to like. And and w- what actually allowed him to take advantage of this is there was a. Um, I think the Mefarshim that I read said that there was a. Uh, you know, he's all he's got all of his armor, but you can't armor your whole self because then you can't see, you know, unless you're gonna be one of those like medieval knights with like little, uh, you know, I don't think that's very good if you're like, that's good if you're on horseback, maybe with a joust, but not if you're you know in war. So he took advantage of that and like used something that was a precision weapon, like a machine gun, you know, and, and struck him in the head with a sharp stone, you know? So like, so I, I this is what you see, are you getting the vibe that, that the, this has to do with the Peric? There's something very fundamental here. I'm just having a hard time putting it together, you know? It's a good question, but that would show more Chafma, right? Of the, of just, you know, plan B, C, D, and E, and then, yeah. That's also true, right? Yeah, yeah. They, they are also fighting for Hashem, but the Frank for Hashem and his prophet Muhammad. We're fighting for Hashem and, and, uh, and uh, you know, yeah. Um, one more piece, again, and just get everything on the table. Uh, sorry, two more pieces, two more pieces. One is one I found like five minutes before Sheer. Okay, so I was desperately looking for help. Okay. And I remembered that I quoted a Pasuk and Mishle of Migdal Oz Shem Hashem. So I, I, I went back to my podcast, looked up who we learned on it. And it turns out Rubin, we did Rubin Yona on it. I looked in Rubin Yona on Mishle. It was Mishle 1810. So it was like in September of last year. So I didn't remember the idea. Rubin Yona quotes our Pasuk and Tehillim and another Pasuk and Mishle. So I went to that Pasuk and Mishle. You have a Tanakh, so you can look at the Pasuk if you want. It's Mishle 29.25, okay? Um, and unfortunately, there is no Rebbeinu Yona on the Pasuk, okay? We, or there probably was, but it was lost. Thank you. 16.12. Uh, in Mishle. Uh, Mishle 16, oh, sorry, not Mishle 16.12. Page 16.12, Mishle um, 29.25. And I think this Pasuk, like, even on the shot, fits in very well with our theme, Okay. Uh, like very, very well. The fear or the trembling of a person will instill a snare, but one who trusts in Hashem will be elevated and protected. Same word, right? Okay, so I'm going to read to you the Rabag. I'm sorry I didn't make copies because I found this right before Shir. Rabag says this, and as I read this, think about David. Okay, in uh, he says, um, so a person's fear about something that is not proper to fear. It will cause him a snare and harm. Okay. So if you're afraid of something that's not supposed to be, you're not, you know, worthy to be afraid of. So he says, so let's say you see a guy who's a bad man and you tremble in front of him. So you're basically allowing him to, you basically made it so he's already won. Like he already has the upper hand because you're afraid and he's going to be able to take advantage and rob you. Okay. Um, uh, uh, sorry. Um, we already have many examples of this. Besides this, but the person who trusts in Hashem, and he doesn't, he's not afraid of something due to his strong trust in Hashem. Even in a certain sense, he's not afraid of things that are proper to be afraid of. He will be protected and strengthened to escape from that harm. But then he gives a different example from David, which I don't know the story. This is, if anyone can fill in the details. So I don't know the case of David with Tzikleg. I know Tzikleg was a place. And then Chizki and Sancheirev was uh, was uh, the whole Assyrian army was gathered outside, um, and um, and that, yeah, I, I figured you know that. And that was the one where the angel of Hashem struck the entire Assyrian camp and killed them, right? And that you could, I think, you could even look that up on Wikipedia. That that I think even uh, historians say like I, something I, happened that destroyed I, the entire I, Assyrian army. Like yeah, right. Yeah. Right. So both, so both of these were cases where 
where uh, again, I don't know what this case of David was, but let's say David, our case of David Goliath, and 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 Chizkiyahu, um, uh, like facing the entire Assyrian army. That's something that is really to be afraid of. Also, so personally, that when you see what's going on, they're just like this was like the last part of a larger campaign of right. Time, yeah, like, yeah. They just as like the army had just been north and just had like a bunch of other right, guys. and they were extremely barbaric. You know, so they were scary bad guys, not just like you know civilized bad guys. Yeah, if you ever, I, I, when like, I, I guess that's what happened to uh, all the stations of God. Yeah, yeah, many of them. Yeah, yeah. If you want to look at it, uh, type in. Uh, I think if you search for Assyrian barbaric, uh, you'll find a lot of the barbaric practices. Like I, I don't, this is not exactly them, but they were the types of people who like made head pyramids of you know stuff like that. You know, like really scary stuff. So, um, so, uh, so both of these are cases where like you have someone who knows number one, I'm fighting for what's true, for the only thing that is really good in this world, which is Yidiyat Hashem, and God has promised the nation that. The Shem Hashem will prevail, okay, and um, and I'm I'm throwing all my heart and soul into it. I'm not being distracted by personal things. So there's also a psychological advantage that you get, and there's whatever hashgacha you get. For someone like David, he actually has hashgacha protest. You know, for uh, for other people, it's not necessarily the case. And that was one thing that Rabbi Yonah said in that pasuk in Mishlei. He says trusting the Shem Hashem means one thing for tzaddikim and another thing for, for the hamon, which I think is alluding to these ideas that for the tzaddik you get actual Hashgacha Pratis, you know, intervention. For the average person, you get stuff like what we're talking about, which is real. It's just not like this or that God's going to intervene and change the laws of nature. Um, oh, so the stuff we were talking about, uh, yeah, I think this was like right before you walked in, is um, that it has to do with what your value system is. So, um, and that's how you're going to define uh, harm and success. So if your value system is, I want to get back home to my vineyard, you know, um, and, uh, so I can make wine and then like you get injured in war. So now that's a real bad because now you've lost your livelihood, you know, but if your only value is, is Kiddush Hashem. So then it's true that you would prefer to not get injured in war, but, but Kiddush Hashem is not being harmed. In other words, you are doing everything that's in your power to advance the value of Kiddush Hashem in the world. And even if you lose this particular battle, which has happened, you know, you are fighting for Kiddush Hashem and as you know, you're doing everything in your power for something that is objectively good. And if it's outside of your control that you get, that you suffer bodily injury, nothing bad happened. You didn't make any bad decisions. And the area by which we measure good and bad was not touched. You know, your Yedias Hashem is still intact, et cetera. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, what, so that was one more piece, and then we have one last piece, okay? Last piece, going back to the, the parak and the pivot point. So, um, uh, oh, so just uh, the, uh, um, the method that we use here is that in every parak of Tehillim that I've learned, then there is a point where the parak abruptly changes in some way. So in our parak, one through, second one through six is all asking Hashem to help and save. And then seven through through 10 is all, in the past tense, Hashem has granted victory. Okay. Um, so we're trying to figure out like, yeah, sorry. Uh, we're trying to figure out the, um, uh, the pivot. So, um, I, I'm going to give a marshal. Okay. Uh, and this is a, re- a real question. Um, so climbing Mount Everest, uh, Mount Everest is one of my like obsessions. Okay. I don't want to climb Mount Everest, but reading about people climbing Mount Everest is one of my obsessions. Um, how do, how do most people on Everest uh, who die? How do they die? No. Uh, okay, so let me uh, let me be more specific. Um, there are lots of particular causes of death, like from an autopsy. But uh, um, when do they die? Probably near like the choke point where only one person would cross at a time. That is a good guess, but no. Oxygen. Close. Yeah. What do you say, Shimon? Lack of oxygen. Uh, so it, that is a, a big cause. It's, it's on the way down. Okay, because what happens is they are so intent on 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 summiting, right? Because that's their whole goal, that they will often overextend themselves and either use up oxygen or or not consume, you know, or, or you know, there's. Oh, okay. I was gonna say I gotta talk. Yeah, yeah. So there's a uh, in Everest. There is a place. Um, I forgot what elevation. I think it's above twenty four thousand feet, called the death zone, where your body literally just starts consuming its own organs. 
for sustenance and you can't digest anything. So you, if you're in the death zone for too long, guess what happens? You die, you know? So, um, so the, 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 so the skilled Everest guides will make sure like there's many skilled Everest guides that when they see that their client is like on the way up and they're about to summit, they'll say, no, you have to come back now. Cause if you go up there, you won't be able to make it back down. Okay. So that's the muscle. The nimshal is it's very easy to relate to turning to Hashem before the war. And when you're going to war, Okay. And say, cause you recognize you're in a state of vulnerability and you have to turn to Hashem for, for success. The danger is after you've won the war, you attribute the victory to your own, your own self, you know? Um, and if you do that, that is going to wreck your relationship with Hashem, you know, and that's going to wreck your bitachon. That's going to wreck your, your value system. So my theory, and again, this is only a theory is even though we say this before war, we're kind of, in this, so in the first half is actual tefillah to Hashem. Second half, we're kind of rehearsing what, how we're going to relate to the victory when it happens so that we don't fall into the pitfall. And by doing that, we, we make ourselves more roi for God to help us in the actual war. Yeah, David? Um, I'm just on the hard making this like more real to us in tefillah. Yeah. Um, so far as like the daily awards that we have, like everything we like go about for daily life, like I was just thinking when you were saying it, like very much, I did nothing to talk in my head. I'm like certain things are like, oh, everything we do. Like, yeah. Like all this yeah. Oh, okay, good. So, um, so just, uh, this is a teaser for, um, I think we are going to have to have one. I, I would like to have one more session on this on Tuesday to try to tie it together. Um, but, uh, I asked, okay, there's a, a Facebook group, um, that has people who are like specialized in tefillah and the, the, it's called a uh, passages of, of right, which I think is a nice little pun instead of rights of passage, you know, uh, yeah. Um, but uh, so I asked one of the guys who's like one of the researchers there or whatever. And he said, um, he quoted me a, 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 an Acheron who says that we say this for Parnassa. Okay. And I asked if that came from any earlier source than this one Acheron. But I was thinking, if you're going to say that, it's got to be something with the challenges and uncertainties that you're about to go into into the day after Shacharis, which is why this is part of the Tachanunim after Shacharis. You know, um, so I, I think that, that, that your, your intuition has a uh, merit there. Yeah. Okay. So let's have this plan. Let's ro- let it roll around. Okay. We're going to say it probably a couple times before, uh, before Tuesday, and then we'll try to wrap it up on Tuesday. Um, and then there was a request by Chaim, uh, which I would like to do next week also to revisit the topic of what are we doing when we have Bakashos to God? Okay. So, um, I'd like to do that. Uh, oh, there was a chat on sandwich. I never see the chats. Yeah. Okay. All right. Have a good night, everybody. Yep. Thank you. If you've gained from what you've learned here today, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Rabbi Schneeweiss. Alternatively, if you would like to make a direct contribution to the Rabbi Schneeweiss Torah Content Fund, my Venmo is at matt-schneeweiss, and my Zelle slash Chase QuickPay and PayPal are matt-schneeweiss at gmail.com. Even a small contribution goes a long way to covering the cost of my podcast and will provide me with the financial freedom to produce even more Torah content for you. If you would like to sponsor an article, share, or podcast episode, or if you are interested in enlisting my services as a teacher or tutor, you can reach me at rabbishnewas at gmail.com. Thank you to my listeners for listening. Thank you to my readers for reading. And thank you to my supporters for supporting my efforts to make Torah ideas available and accessible to everyone.